What's going on and welcome back to episode 7 of the Kicking It With podcast. I'm your host, Zach Holcomb, and today I am sitting down and giving you just what the doctor ordered. This is a pandemic special. This is work from home special podcast episode. We go well over an hour. It's myself and Brent talking about Freeform Plus software and socket design, prosthetics in the digital age with the digital workflow, his recent trip to Guatemala, and so much more. You're going to love it. I am excited for you to enjoy this episode. Switch it up with the intro music to give you just what the doctor ordered. Here comes myself and Brent. Thank you very much for listening. What's going on, everybody? Hopefully you can all hear us. We're getting some confirmation on all of that, that everything is working right now. And then uh, and then we'll get started. Sounds like it is. You'll notice that we're taking proper uh, precautions here at Additive America for the coronavirus outbreak. Um, we are coughing <coughs> into our elbows and we are not shaking hands. We are merely just bumping elbows. So solve that problem. <laughs> As a lot of you know, obviously, if you're following or, or getting this uh, this prompt that we're going live, you know who I am. I'm Zach Holcomb with Additive America. With me today is Brent Wright with East Point Prosthetics and Orthotics and Additive America. He gets to play both. He's lucky. Hi from Portugal. There we go. Portugal and Italy. How's it going? Hope everything is going all right for everyone out there. Hope you are enjoying your self-quarantining and uh, social distancing. We're uh, we're working on that as well here um, in in North Carolina. So, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of the restaurants and all that fun stuff are doing the the dining the dining room shutdown. So that's what we're dealing with today. After this, we're gonna figure out what the heck we're gonna do for lunch, um, where we're gonna get lunch takeout from. So that's what's going on here in North Carolina. I hope things in your neck of the woods aren't too terrible yet. Um, it's okay. We're all gonna be okay. Quit buying toilet paper. Relax. Um, another high from India. Man, sweet. Got a we, guy from Columbus. We want to come to India. We think that would be great. Yeah, India would be cool. Brent would love to come and visit you, and I'll be here making sure the printer's running. Yeah, Zach <laughs> won't even go get his passport. So, <laughs> well, now I'm covered. There's no, uh, I can't travel, so it's not my call anymore. I got a good 30 days where hey, I can't leave the country. No line, no waiting to get your passport. <laughs> that's probably true that's probably true i saw um i know now is the time to actually go on vacation i think like we should be renting beach houses and doing work out there probably think, cheap uh, yeah um, probably pretty cheap big beach houses make sure we keep the distance and all that stuff <laughs> do you see the dude <laughs> the dude walking around the store with his uh his social distancing donut on oh was that the guy with the like the suspenders and the cardboard <laughs> <Yeah>. stuff? Oh, <laughs> I love it. Brilliant. I love it. Brilliant. I love it. All right, we've got uh, India, Iran, Iran yeah. Yeah, France, Portugal, Italy, New Hampshire. <laughs> yeah, everyone's working from home or not working from home, so it works out great for folks like us. So we're able to come in. We've got a real small office. Um, come in, so not a whole lot of people coming in and out of here. So we're kind of quarantined still. So we're we're adhering to all of the 
all of the precautions and that stuff. So we've got uh, in this other room over here, we have our printer. So it was running today. We, uh, we've been running with the lights off in the room so that the uh, looters and the horde will not be able to see that we are we are in the building and operational. So the printer is printing in the dark and that's so see all those times watching the apocalypse shows it's coming back. Like it's, it's uh, it was not time wasted. So anyway, that's, what's been going on here. We just got all this stuff working on. We got the video working, got our new Logitech camera here set up, got some flashy little lights to make our face look, faces look as beautiful as we can yeah, get them to tough. look. And you know, well, you know, with what we're working with, any help, is appreciated. So that's what's going on here. Got everything up and running. And today we wanted to come together and Brent's down here hanging out in Kinston for the day. And we wanted to chat. He just got back from a trip to Guatemala for his nonprofit life enabled. So he'll explain, uh, kind of the gist of, uh, that organization to you and what their, what their overall goal is and what they're up to. And then, uh, we're going to talk about some, uh, some stories of some patients that he met with while he was down there. A lot of these are pediatric patients. So he sees them, um, periodically or, over the course of time as he continues to go down and visit. So that's kind of a cool thing. Gets to kind of, uh, it's kind of a part of their, uh, their life and their journey as things unfold for them. So that's kind of a cool, kind of a cool, uh, relationship thing that you get to do there. So, uh, so yeah, man. So you got to travel down. This was, what were the dates of your trip? The dates, uh, were the end of February, the very beginning of March. So I did not just get back from Guatemala. So that's been actually almost two weeks now. Flies. Um, so Fly, it flies. Oh my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> I felt like you were but gone I do, for I do have a, 10 a, days. a funny story um, about my adventure uh, actually leaving Guatemala. So we saw some of the, the virus stuff starting to spread and we, we were going to, we knew we were going to be able to leave home without any issues. However, uh, we got to the airport and the lines were super long. So my wife went into the drop, bag drop lane and I'm in the lane that uh, it, you get your boarding passes and, and uh, bag tags and all that stuff. So I'm, I'm checking everybody in. My whole family went down with me. So there's five of us. I'm checking on all the passports. And typically the next question is, are you checking any bags? And then you choose how many bags and you, you know, obviously check. Yes. Well, so I'm doing all this and I'm trying to rush because I see them get close to the beginning of the line. And the next question, instead of, are you checking bags is has, have you been to mainland China in the last 14 days? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and guess which button I pushed. It was like, I could not stop my hand. My mind was saying, do not push the yes button. And I literally shut the kiosk down. And had to get help and all that stuff, explain, hey, you know, we hadn't been to mainland China. I was expecting the bag uh, question, and I do have bags. I have not been to mainland China. Anyway, we got on a flight back, uh, <laughs> but that was my story. So now when I go to these kiosks, I just keep my hands in my pocket. <laughs> I read the stuff, and then I will put, pull my hand out and make, uh, you know, any decision. So Fire carefully. Yeah, <laughs> dude, that was that's like alarms go off. Oh and like my goodness, it was a hazmat suit oh, drops from the ceiling. Terrible. <laughs> so I just Grant was talking about this the other day. He was saying that like uh, he said it was something about uh, that Disney should should show footage of like Monsters Inc. in the outbreak. What was that you were telling us? So they did a special when Monsters Inc. came out. 
Disneyland and stuff where they had all the Monsters Inc. characters in like in the park. Well, part of that movie is like the hazmat team of like the little kid yeah. films, and they're all the hazmat. <laughs> they should have had all the hazmat back out of Disneyland. <laughs> oh my goodness. That's the response that I imagine should happen in the airport when you hit that button. Have oh, you been to yeah. mainland China the last two weeks? Yes, and it's like, dude, start running oh, out from everywhere. I was, I was definitely thinking that something was going to go down after that. <laughs> so anyway, um, that was my story getting out. But you know, a little bit about life enabled and and uh, relationship with Guatemala and what we do. So we work in the very northern part of Guatemala, the jungle of Guatemala. It's just a it's just a tough area to live. It's very hot, uh, humid, um, not a lot of help in that area. And we've partnered with a hospital called Hospital Shalom uh, that does an amazing work and has done amazing work there for 20 plus years. Great name in the community. And so we've partnered with them to bring prosthetic care there. And so that's a little bit of the story of how we actually got to the jungle of Guatemala. These are people that... Um, uh, you know, we have a heart for because it's, these are the people that are essentially forgotten in Guatemala uh, because it's the jungle. Uh, there's just no other way to put it. So gotcha. uh, along with Hospital Shalom, they're just taking care of people that haven't, you know, don't normally get taken care of. And so we wanted to bring excellent prosthetic care there. Uh, we concentrate on kids. You know, kids are the future. Kids are the generation, next generation. And if you really want to make a positive change in the future, the biggest thing is to make a difference in kids' lives. So we've been going there since 2006. And so we've got to see kiddos that were, you know, two, three years old, now uh, 16, 17 years old, going off to college. We're starting to see uh, kiddos, you know, making something for themselves um, to not only support them, but support their families. And all this really is only possible through a prosthesis. A lot of times if you're missing an arm or a leg, you may not even have the opportunity to have crutches, uh, let alone a prosthesis. And so a prosthesis is really a game changer and a life changer for uh, the people in the jungle of Guatemala. So nice. uh, typically the next question that I get is, hey, uh, what about opening up other life-enabled clinics, you know, all over the world. What do you, will you come here? Will you come there? And what I say to that is, you know, we uh, do a really good job with uh, creating prostheses in the developing world. And if you have an idea or if you want to bring your country or prosthetics to your country, come to one of our clinics. We are literally an open book. If you want to come to our clinics and learn how yes. we do things, where we get our, uh, materials, how we do our fabrication, learn about 3D printing or what have you, um, please, that's what we want. It is so super important, especially for prosthetics. Prosthetics is unlike a lot of other medicine where there's follow-up, say like surgeries. Like if you're a surgeon, you can go do, uh, say, a tonsillectomy or some, some sort of surgery. And while it's very, very needed in that moment, in three years, you don't have to follow up with them because they've grown or their limb shape has changed or anything like that. You do the surgery, you make sure they recover, and you're done. Prosthetics is not that way at all. And I think people forget a lot of times that that's not that way. People go through different stages of life. And you've got to follow these patients to make sure that they're um, 
doing well, continuing to wear the prostheses, managing socks, managing you know volume fluctuations, managing weight gain, weight loss. Um, you know, for uh, women, especially childbearing years, you have uh, pregnancy after kids. So you've got all these situations that make a prosthesis really a a part of life, but there's different parts of life that you need specific adjustments or changes or what have you. And it's not just a, hey, let's parachute in and provide somebody a prosthesis and have a good life. So uh, that's why we are so passionate about being in one spot, investing in one area, and then keep on uh, caring for that population. And we see people that have been in a prosthesis nine, 10 years, where they're just coming back for, say, a replacement of a foot or a knee um, to, and that's it. The socket is actually doing fine or we're changing a little bit of padding. But so we're seeing a long life of these sockets, which is absolutely what we love. So that's a little bit, actually, that's a lot of long-winded of how we got to Guatemala and why we do what we do. Right on. So you mentioned basically that you're you're dealing with a lot of issues where you're dealing with fluctuations in size and weight and and a lot of things like that um, over the course of a patient's lifetime. Um, so doing that in in America in controlled environments and controlled temperatures and things like that. I mean, we have air conditioning. Not a lot of air conditioning going down in the Guatemala jungle right now. At least the last um, last time you were there. Um, <laughs> so, you know, how, how are you able to juggle all of these challenges and mitigate the risk of infection and, and all sorts of other things when you're in those, um, types of environments, what kind of materials are you able to use? Like you're not able to just like throw on a laminated socket. Or yeah. Like a bunch of flex liners. No, no, oh, I got you. Yeah. So, yeah. So it's just completely different, you know, in, here in the developing world, yes, we have air conditioning, we have seasons and that sort of thing. Their season is just hot all the time, you know. It's yeah, hot and hotter. Yeah, so you have moist and moisture, <laughs> and maybe rain once, a, uh, you know, rain once, you know, a couple of days to sure. uh, super hot, and it rains every day at three o'clock. So those those types of things you can you have to take into consideration. So a lot of people say, well, do you use liners or gel liners. And the reality is, is that is just not the appropriate technology for the jungle of Guatemala. There's a couple reasons for that. The least expensive gel liner right now is roughly $150 a piece. So you're talking about the need for something $150 and replacing it at least every six months. And you're talking, uh, do that with a population that has a disposable income, well not, I mean, just an income of one to $3 a day. So you're talking 30 to $90 a month and you say, Oh yeah, every six months you need to spend $150 for a liner. Yeah, not happening. That, well, and that's just not right. Yeah. So what we do is we, we try to make, bring the cost down and people call it old school or what have you, but we use socks, which will wick moisture away from the skin. And then, um, and then we use a pad from uh, a company that makes a kind of a cone. And it, so it's a liner of sort, but it's a liner that they put their uh, leg into as part of a prosthesis, some cushioning, uh, so to speak. And that will last, my goodness, you know, five, six, you know, seven years is, 
is pushing it, but it still lasts a long time before something needs to be changed. And you know how much that one is? $18. <laughs> nice. So um, that's, and that's the other part is, so for a below the knee prosthesis with socks and a cuff strap, we're with a brand new foot, all new parts, we're looking at a cost, total cost of $150. And we're seeing some of these prostheses land last 10 plus years. Wow. It's one of the best investments ever. 150 yeah. bucks goes a super long way mm-hmm. for all that. Yeah, that's an incredible, incredibly long period of time. Is that, why do you think that, like, what's like an average time? Are, what, how long are you seeing prostheses last here? Yeah. So here, I mean, you can go, you can go a long time as well. I, I think back to your point, though, like if we use like laminated sockets in the jungle of Guatemala or even carbon fiber feet, that technology literally vaporizes within just a few months. Really? It's, it's crazy. And going along with the liner talk, too, so in the jungle of Guatemala, there's some not great things. And hygiene sometimes is an issue. Clean water is an issue. So a lot of times you have to wash liners and such. And we see people that have been given liners and sent home, essentially, get some massive infections that almost look like mm-hmm. scar-burning uh, type of thing because this whatever is trapped between their liner and the skin, mm-hmm. but it's the only way their prosthesis works. Right. So um, even in the jungle of Guatemala, the the these liners, even if on a good good period of time, you're talking maybe three or four months before gotcha. it needs to be replaced. But gotcha. um, but here in the U.S., I mean, we can make things last a long time. Typical. Time, you know, quote unquote, insurance says you know, we've got to make something last about three, three years before it can be replaced. And three years is about the lifespan of uh, what the ISO standards are as like two to three million cycles. I don't have that document in front of me, but gotcha. uh, two to three million cycles uh, per, for a foot and for a socket. So we. We try to abide by that, but there's plenty of patients that are way outside that and way over that three million mark before gotcha. we need to replace something. Cool. Cool. Let's see. Do we have any questions so far? So, um, what was exciting about this trip was uh, David Purick from Hewlett Packard in San Diego actually. Uh, We've been talking, and uh, Hewlett Packard just has a kind of a heart for seeing people walk worldwide. And so we decided, hey, we're going to try something that, uh, to our knowledge, has never been done before with the type of technology that we're talking about, which is flexible inner liners, 3D printed. Now, they're not $18 by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> However, um, between HP and Lubrizol, they took good care of us because they knew that this was something that was uh, could have impact uh, truly worldwide. And so what we did is we had somebody that was a non prosthetist down in Guatemala use the iPad scanner, the occipital scanner with DigiScan 3D, which is the scanning app for um, the scanner and or the uh, the iPad. And 
they sent me the files, I modified the files, and then hand carried those 3D printed sockets down with flexible inners. Now these flexible inners had a lattice pattern in them, which made them flexible. So it was essentially the same thing as the foam that we were doing, but this is a latticed TPU. It was really, really neat. So we uh, took down five devices, and I can, I'm proud to say that we were actually four for five on the delivery of those devices, and they went really, really well. Patients were very comfortable, um, minimal sock fit, and um, they walked well, walked independently. Um, it was very cool. The one that did not walk, or we didn't, we weren't able to fit, but we did fit traditionally um, at that time, was the scanner did a great job capturing its shape. It was just, it was the shape under no load. So no yeah. load bearing. So his limb shape changes based on his tissue consistency, which just goes to show a clinician has to be involved in this, this idea of being able to 3D print things, uh, artificial intelligence, AI, all that stuff actually doesn't fit the patient. It may make a socket, but that doesn't mean that it's going to fit the patient. So, so. Uh, that was very cool. So that was, that was fun. And so now we're going to get to see how well this nylon and TPU actually lasts in, in the jungle of Guatemala. Wild. But we're very, yeah. very confident in that because we've done some testing here stateside over the last about two years uh, on how the Nylon 12 does. And we feel really good about where that's going. So, For sure. For sure. Yeah, I think it's important to you know keep that up front is that like you still have to have you, you still have to have and I mean you know in one of the comments here from Dave Schaff is that the power of additive is in collaboration and that is totally correct like you can't just you can't just take a 3D printer or a person with 3D print experience and apply that to prosthetics and fit and just make it and it be like everything be great and perfect and fantastic and likewise, you know, it takes it takes the teamwork of uh, the actual clinician doing the hands on time and actually feeling the patient and fitting the body paired up with the technology. And that's what actually brings everything together. You know, and I think you kind of touched on it without diving way into it, but you just can't just take something and do this and be like. Start and then create something that fits someone perfectly like there actually is a lot that goes into that whole process. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the things that, you know, at Additive American at East Point that we're really looking at is, you know, how do we really make the most of of 3D printing and the scanning technology? And it really comes down to, hey, 3D printing and scanning does an amazing job on creating a beautiful product. Uh, how do we get that scan to make sure that that's exactly what we want? And then our training really now is involved in, okay, so this is the way that we've designed the prosthesis. When we get in the room with the patient, is it operating in the sense that we designed it? And so that is a, that is a skill that I feel like really was lost around the time of the end of the wood so wooden sockets. Mm. Uh, is the skill of actually fitting the prosthesis. And I think it's coming back. 
and I think that's going to be an important part of making sure that 3D printing and scanning is going in the right direction is training Procedus, uh, you know, going back in a little bit of history and saying, hey, we're going to make this thing, but you have to fit it and you have to know and expect mm-hmm. your fitting protocols or diagnostics right. or what's what's actually going on inside the socket. And that's what's exciting to me is because I think there's a lot of uh, interesting technology that's even coming down the pike on helping us find out actually what's going on inside the socket. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'll be some interesting stuff and in, in studies to kind of watch out for, I think. Um, yeah. Yeah. That'll be cool stuff. That'll be cool stuff. So hopefully, let's see here. Any questions? All right. So Jessica asks, uh, let me, what is the specific material that socks are made of? Does it change for purpose? How did you figure out what material is best to use? All right. So Jessica, excellent questions. The specific material that we're using is called a nylon 12 or PA 12. Uh, via multi-jet fusion and Zach, I'll get, let you give the rundown on how the multi-jet fusion machine uh, does its thing. And then we'll, we'll talk about the rest of her question. Right on. So the way that the multi-jet fusion machine works is it's a powder based system. And so everything think of uh, like grains of sand. So that's about what we're dealing with here. So we have nylon powder, uh, nylon that's been ground up into a powder, very, very fine. And so what we have is a printer and in that printer, uh, a bunch of really cool stuff happens. So you take a build unit, which is a basically a cart, and you load it up with virgin material. You wheel it into the printer. You put it in there. You shut all the doors. And what happens in there is the powder is pulled up through feeder veins on the build cart. And then there's a platform on the top of that build unit. And so that it'll bring powder up. It's smoothing powder out over top of the build space on that platform. The platform will go down three thousandths of an inch every time. So it's going down three thousandths of an inch, smoothing over another layer of powder. And then it does that, builds up, gets to the point where it starts to build the part. When it gets to that portion of the build, the print carriage will start coming across as well. So you'll have like one motion where it's going this direction, smoothing the powder out over top of the print bed. Then you have a print carriage come over left to right, and that's laying down um, two agents. One is a uh, fusing agent. One is a detailing agent. Basically what it's taking is it's taking our build in a 3d space. It's cutting it up into a bunch of, uh, slicing it up into a bunch of cross sections. And this is printing basically, um, those cross sections at 3000 of an inch thickness. So basically think of it as, uh, we take a big box digitally, we cram a bunch of digital prostheses parts into it. Other parts fill as many of them into this box as we can. And then we take that box and, we basically slice it into a bunch of thin slices of paper, and then we print each of those sheets one by one on the printer. So basically what it's doing is it's taking that full build space, turning it into a movie, and um, every eight seconds is a layer. So it's basically playing that movie or that print or that build eight second frame rate of of those three thousandths of an inch layers printing out the part. So long story short on that is putting it into a machine, it's basically smoothing powder out and printing a layer by layer part um, using that powder and the agents and a whole lot of uh, temperature and heat. So about 350 to 380 degrees uh, Fahrenheit is where all of this fun stuff takes place. Yes. So, and, and it's a lot of technology, a lot has to go right. Uh, and, but that's what we love is that uh, in the same way, 
when you do a lamination or whatever, a lot has to go right. Uh, layups, moisture, the resin has to be set off. So there's so many things and you can't track any of it. Yes. So that's the beauty of 3D printing is that that's all stuff where there's thermal cameras and everything. So we know exactly uh, if there's any hot spots in the build or what have you, what is actually going on inside the build to make sure that the build went off without a hitch. And Zach, when it doesn't go off without a hitch, what do you do? When it when it doesn't go off without a hitch? Oh, with it when it does go no, yeah, when it doesn't go off without it doesn't go off without a hitch. So when we have when, a, it, when, 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 full when the parts don't look go. Oh my gosh. So some you'll have all sorts of miscellaneous issues. Basically what we you know, long story the, the shortest answer to that is when we have parts that are our problem here, they go right in the trash. Um we don't mess around with any of that stuff. There's no um well we can just heat it up. Or buff it out. Or we can just make it work. Out or whatever. A, a person puts their limb in this thing and they walk. So that part goes in the trash. But, I mean, there's a, all sorts of different things that can happen. I mean, it, it's a lot of it's similar style problems to what you're doing with the lamination where you might have your resins um, not kicking off properly, things like that. But, you know, what they're doing in our situation is the machine just might decide that it wants to throw an error today and just go ahead and stop building. And it's... Um, it's printed eight inches of that 10 inch tall socket. And, um, yeah, that, that's, yeah, that's a loss. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. So, it, um, the bottom line is without any of this, obviously everything there's, there's a recipe, a cookbook that has to go off to make sure that everything goes off without a hitch. Uh, and that's why I always say you leave it, the printing to 3d printing experts like Zach, because, uh, he's been with this, um, technology really since the infancy of it and uh, there's a lot of things that he has in his noggin on what he does to make a build go off or what he's looking for in a specific build that a lot of people wouldn't even see and so it's super important especially when you're talking about definitive sockets multi-jet fusion or sls is that your operator uh, not only knows about the machine inside and out but then also when you start our the prosthetics are considered, um, you know, thin-walled, large objects. Most of the devices that are going into these multi-jet fusion printers are not thin-walled, large objects. And so you've got to worry about heat, um, orient build orientation, all that stuff. And that's yeah, warpage that. deformation are, are big concerns with large parts, yeah. especially large thin. They have a thing in the... Um, I'm not very educated on it, but um, it's called like the 10x rule or something like a 10 to 1 ratio, something along these lines. But basically, it's if you're printing a part in an HP machine that is the length is 10 times the thickness of it, it's probably going to warp, they say. Like pretty much every socket is that like times 100. So, um, yeah, it's definitely it's definitely a tricky thing when you're dealing with thin, thin plastic and heat. And that is like you said, every bit of what we're, what we're getting out of the technology. Yeah. Yeah. And so we didn't have it on our, on our radar really to get our own machine at the beginning. We really thought that we would be able to do things through service bureaus and things like that. And the reality is just because you have a machine doesn't mean that you're going to print good parts. Uh, now there might be some parts that are print, they print really well, like small pieces and parts, but the reality is these piece, big pieces and parts orientation matters, heat matters, um, all that stuff. And that's the beauty of working with professionals. So Jessica, that was a long answer to only one third of your question. So does it Good change question. for a purpose? 
So what we do with the sockets is we create areas of flexibility and areas of rigidity. And so if there is a specific area, say a fibular head or distal tibia, or you just want to give some dynamics to, say, the gastroc belly um, posterior aspect, or you want to uh, create a more rigid area, say, in the uh, interosseous space, um, you, can, you can do all that with 3D printing. You can create these flexible areas, rigid areas, and really make this socket dynamic. So all the complexity that goes along with things that you wish that you could do can really be done with 3D printing. I think that answers the second part. And then how do you figure out what material was best to use? Well, with multi-jet fusion, you really only have the option of uh, nylon 11, nylon 12, and then with the machine that we run is TPU. Um, TPU is definitely going to be too flexible. Uh, nylon 11 is pretty neat uh, because it has some impact. Um, what would you say Impact. Uh, impact resistance strength, I guess, is what you Elongation, would call it. like I think it's fifty percent more. That's yeah. It's got less, um, like when uh, this is splitting hairs, but of the twelve and the eleven, when something starts to break in the twelve, it wants to like continue breaking. Whereas in the eleven, it's not quite as much. Okay. Very very minute differences. So the but but you do give up some things. So like for instance, you have more flexibility in the PA. 11, but those rigid areas that you wanted now are going to have to be thicker. Um, which means more weight. Which means more weight, more material. Mm -hmm. And the material is uh, more expensive. Yep. Um, and so one of the things that I wanted to make sure is that when I'm doing a prosthesis, that it is more of a lateral move if you're using central fabrication to go digital. So if you're paying... Uh, you know, a specific amount, and I'm just going to use a ballpark figure, six to $800 for a BK socket um, with definitive fabrication. Uh, I wanted it to be the same with additive manufacturing. And so I think the PA-12 allows us to keep that price point, whereas the PA-11 would pretty much, you know, pretty much not make that happen. So yes, while the PA-11 is very cool, um, we're actually able to, and just because of really almost two years of experience now with the PA-12, do what we want to do. And we've created some parameters to make sure that it's um, safe. So uh, we get a ton of questions about, you know, what testing have we done and things like that. What ISO test um, have we done? <laughs> So the, there is an, oh boy, he just teed that one up. Oh my goodness. Okay. So uh, um, we have 28 minutes till noon. So, okay. <laughs> oh, sorry. So, yeah. Oh yeah. So ISO testing. So there's an ISO test called ISO 10328. A lot of people uh, refer to that as kind of the definitive testing for what they do. Uh, and while there are some op, some validity to that, the reality is that ISO 10328 does not say how to test sockets. It's more around the feet and knees uh, and even ankles of uh, so actual components of a prosthesis rather than the sockets themselves. So, but a lot of people extrapolate um, some forces and that sort of thing through the sockets, and so. 
what we wanted to do is we just wanted to say, okay, let's take a look at ISO 10328. What does it actually say? And um, so the, I believe 900 newtons or almost a thousand newtons is, is no, a thousand pounds, sorry. A thousand pounds is sticking into my mind for, for whatever reason. So the ISO 10328 says, has to have a thousand pounds of vertical force that's happening at a 20 degree shank angle essentially uh, and it not fail and then you you're able to move forward into your dynamic testing so what we've done is we've said okay we want that plus a little bit of safety factor and when we've been testing our multi-jet fusion sockets we're getting uh you know, roughly uh 2800 pounds of force before the socket and it doesn't fail this is the crazy thing um we've we've had tube clamps and um uh pylons and pyramids fail before these sockets fail which is a discussion for maybe a little bit later but the the mold or the so we have a pipe connected to a mold connected to the fixture essentially and the mold at a 20 degree angle when you're pushing down actually slipped out of the front of the socket. So the socket deformed enough to let the mold out and the, and the socket ended up not failing, which really brought us to the question of, okay, so that was about 3000 pounds of vertical force. The question then becomes, Hey, are we designing these sockets to fail? Because now we can actually, do that or, or start to do that or start to understand it. And it's, I think it's a valid discussion to have because if you've got 3000 pounds of vertical force pushing on you or your leg, would you want it to fail? And my answer to that would be yes. In fact, we just had a, a, a young man come and, and visit us and he was in a really, really bad car accident and was not wearing his prosthesis. And they said to him, because he wasn't wearing his prosthesis, it probably saved his life. Really? Because the front end impact would have impacted that prosthesis. And these prostheses, it's a laminated prosthesis, are super strong and possibly could have taken away his whole midsection. Wow. That's incredible. And so I think that's a, is that, that whole thought of how much force is enough before it is... It fails. Right. And I think, um, you know, kudos to Coyote Design for some of that, because in their pin systems, they were they were getting forces of upwards of a thousand pounds of force before the prosthesis would get pulled off. And their question was, if you've got something a thousand pounds of force pulling on you, Take do you it. want that thing off? Yeah. Heck yeah. Go. Yes. <laughs> so they actually increased some of the tolerances. And I don't know what the exact amount, but I want to say three, four hundred pounds is what they're at now so it will can will come off and then if you didn't if you didn't want it to come off you can put it right back on without a problem right but at least it comes off there is a fail safe on that laminated sockets there's no fail safe yeah at all that's incredible so it's kind of like um like back in the day when they started converting vehicle design because like it was originally every car was like, let's make it out of steel. It'll be super rigid and look at how strong it is. And we can bang it with a rock or we can hit it with a hammer and look how strong, how many hits with a hammer this hard steel car can take. And then we were like, hey, when we do that and then we ram two of those together, all the people on the inside get thrashed. Hey, if we build these things called crumple zones, we kind of can take away some of that. 
have some flexibility. You get a fudge factor there is where I'm getting that here to where like, Hey, let's, let's plan for bad things to happen every once in a while. And what is the get out of jail on that? So, but along with all that is (laughs) that you have to plan for the things that aren't necessarily going to happen when the patient is walking normally. So what happens when they run their power wheelchair over one of their family members runs a power wheelchair over the prosthesis? Yeah. Yeah. You need to make sure that that doesn't break at that point. Or they uh, they actually take a, a bad fall because they take a bad step and they fall downstairs and they they hit their socket. What what needs to ha- happen? How strong does it need to be? Um, things things of that nature uh, or. You know, FedEx or UPS gets a hold of one of your boxes and absolutely crushes it during their sorting process. You know, it goes under a, you know, and they're tossing these things around in the sorting process. Um, Yeah, you don't want it to break then, but that's not normal walking. Right. So there's a whole lot of stuff that you have to think about when you talk about design in uh, prosthesis. So, Jessica. I think that answers all your question. And that only took us how was, long to answer? I, only, I, don't see, I don't see a timer on this. Well, you from, um, let's see, you only took 10 minutes for me hitting you with the uh, ISO test. Oh, okay. So well, that was that's only 10 minutes. That's pretty good. So uh, <laughs> there you go, Jessica. Um, you know, and I, Jessica, I think, let's see, Jessica, she's prosthetics and orthotics, Walter Reed. And um, yeah, so, I mean, what's interesting about, about all that especially with the military stuff yes absolutely we want to keep our veterans safe and all that but i can tell you that um with some of these sockets just a change of material into this nylon 12 patients are going nuts as far as how comfortable they are i i actually so i've been doing prosthetics since uh i was a technician starting in the late 90s so um, I've done my share of laminated sockets and I feel bad that I ever fit a laminated prosthesis. I know this technology hasn't been around for long, but that's the kind of feedback that I'm getting back from my patients is I can't believe how light this is. I can't believe how it's flexing with me. It feels a part of me. All these things that I wish I would have heard in my laminated sockets. Um, and all we're talking about is a change in material. We're not talking about a change of socket design. Uh, in fact, we had a, a a clinician that's part of East Point. We literally duplicated their socket, made it a multi-jet fusion socket, and the patient couldn't believe it. Same exact design. Yeah, it was just, just a straight just, straight duplicate. Just uh, dynamic. Yep. And so those are things to to really think about. It's and that's what's really pushed me into this digital space is I was a hands-on prosthetist. I love plaster work. I love lamination. I loved even some of the thermoplastic copolymer sockets. But there was something to flexible sockets when Coyote was doing this, some of their stuff with copoly and the basalt. I saw patients love that flexibility. And now not only do we get that flexibility, we get to tune it where we want. And how cool is that? Yes, it's pretty sweet. It's pretty cool that you can apply a lot of the, um, you know, I think a lot of this comes from grabbing, not being, not limiting ourselves to what's currently available in ONP technology, but looking broader in the 
the whole landscape of digital manufacturing and I get, you know, a lot of it is we've taken on a lot of risk to be able to go out and try the new things to bring them to this industry, to an O and P industry. But I think that's a big, a big part of what we've been able to do is it's, it's we're looking broader for the solution than what, what has already been brought to the O and P industry. Okay. How can I apply those in my practice? No, we're, you've looking you've looked far broader in digital manufacturing to find other items and then you've brought them to your practice and then thus into the O&P industry. So I think that's a big thing too. Like that's right. If you're looking just at what's been brought, you're you're already shopping in the app store, you're not creating apps. Right. We're looking to create an app because the app that you were looking for in the app store was not available. Right. So, yeah. I think it's important yeah to uh to realize in, that. So, um yeah, and to piggyback on that, and then Stephen, I saw your question about the PA11. We'll get to that in just a second. Um, is design is key to all this? You have a terrible design, even though we've got a half a million dollar printer and somebody that is an expert in running the printer. If the design is terrible, the product's going to be terrible. So this is not a... I think people focus a lot of times on the printer, which is very important. But as prosthetists and orthotists, just like anything else, we've got to focus on the design. And that is where everybody seems to get off the boat. They focus on the printer and they don't want to put in the time to learn design. Mm -hmm. And that's that's so important. Um, and that's one of the things. Listen, I was a I was very much anti-digital. 2014-2015 and then when I started talking to people and then then I started finding out how much it was going to cost me to have somebody design for me and how long it was going to take for me to try to iterate and tell them what I want yeah I was like man I got to start learning how to do this and so it's not just been an overnight journey of like hey I downloaded Fusion 360 and Mesh Mixer and I started creating amazing multi-jet fusion sockets yeah i mean we're talking iteration <laughs> and iteration and iteration through a lot of different things which has gotten us to where we want and so i wanted to <laughs> uh frankie Pol uh says terrible design is the same as a terrible program completely agree yep um there was one other question uh aj from i believe he's from iran no, he's from India. Um, uh, that was a question that he posed before we got into um, the other question. So we, we use Geomagic Freeform for all our design uh, for just a couple of reasons. It, it does a wonderful job with organic shapes. And for me, uh, time is super valuable. It's the only thing that we can't reproduce. And so if there is something that will save me time, I'm going to invest my time and money to make sure that that happens. And with Freeform and Freeform Plus, we're able to do all our design internal to that um, product, which allows me to complete a task that was taking me an hour in, say, about 15 minutes. So it saves me 45 minutes of time. And actually, I'm working on even bringing that down further and further. So that's why we use Freeform, a super powerful program. Um, that's something that we can definitely talk at another yep, um, it, time. It is not free. <laughs> no. No. Guarantee it. It's not no. free. 
You're not going to get it for free. You're not going to hack it for free. You're not going to go get some free software that's going to do everything that Freeform does. Good luck. Have yeah, fun. So What's your time worth? <laughs> I think that's what it, absolutely. That's what it What's comes your time down worth? to is what is your time what worth? Seven pro, what seven free programs can you Frankenstein together on three different desktop towers so that you can bring it in and do this with the mesh and then take it to this program and do this? That's fine. Have fun doing that. That's it's, just not it's, what we're about. That's that's it, it can be done. Yeah. Enjoy. Yeah. It's gonna take you seven hours to do a socket design. We can do it's, like yeah. 50. Yeah. Yeah. Like we've literally scripted some stuff where we've done a socket, <clears throat> uh, just a basic socket with basic trim lines in a minute and a half. And that's we're moving quick, but I think it can be done faster. But a minute and a half is pretty good for uh to kick out a yeah i mean it's a give and take too i mean it's like um you know you you want to getting the time down is important but there's still like that minimum time required to get it right yeah too yeah and and you know there are times where and this is where it's important to have somebody that operating machine and that's where i think we have a benefit of out of america i mean zach there's been times where you say hey brent that design is terrible it's going to break it's not the right thing to do. I'm not going to print that. And um, while it's hard for me to hear that as a designer, I appreciate that. And then we we come up with a solution and it can be a solution of simple as like, hey, you need to add some corrugation in this part and it's going to be fine. Let's just make sure. Mm-hmm. No problem. Literally a couple minutes of work and we're back at it. So yeah. um, you're not going to get that from just a regular service bureau. Um, they're they're not going to know how a prosthesis operates. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, they're going to print that. whatever you send them. Yeah. If you send them a two a, a one point seven five millimeter wall thickness socket throughout, they're going to print it. They're going to quote you uh, probably as much or more than us, and then they're going to print it for you and send it to you, and you're going to get it and squeeze it and be like, "This is not going to work at all." Right. And then you're going to be like, "Hey, I needed to just change. I need to just change. It's the same thing, but I change it to five millimeter wall thickness. Can you get me a quote?" And they're going to be like, "Sure." It'd be like another 900 bucks yeah and you're like what yeah and so yeah you're learning but they're not working with you on that like no they make money off people prototyping that's what they do yeah. like their business model is like people are trying to create new stuff and they're going to use us to help themselves create new stuff and that's how we make money they're not helping they're not going to be like hey bro just let you know this one's not going to work they're gonna be like sweet go ahead and print it and send yeah. it to them they gave us the po yeah. And then that sucker is going to yeah. email us in like two days and be like, that didn't work here. Yeah. Send me another one. Yeah. Like <laughs> we're going to be like, Hey, not going to work. Yeah. Let's, let's go ahead and beef up that AFO. Cause that sucker, that toothpick is breaking. And we still like, we're not perfect. We're, we fail all sorts of parts still. Yeah. But yeah, it's nice to at least get that, uh, that feedback for sure. For sure. All right. So let's get to Steven. Do, do you guys run PA 11 on our machine in Kinston? We do not run PA11 on our machine. We don't have another processing station. And we feel pretty strongly about, uh, you know, yes, we'd love to add another machine and processing station. Uh, we feel pretty strongly about uh, one machine to one material, even though you can get away without it. Uh, um, for what we're doing and putting things on people, it's just not worth the cross-contamination uh, possibility, even if we were just moving build units back and forth and we had another yeah. processing station. So um yep no pa11 as of right now we are pa12 only yep. regular pa12 not glass bead 
Um, so yeah, we're regular PA 12 only at this point. Um, but yeah, you know, uh, if anyone, um, any company out there, especially in ONP wants to spend a half million to three quarters of a million dollars just to say that they bought their own HP machine, but they don't want to run it. You could buy that machine and tell all your friends how cool you are. Cause you just bought this machine, but you put it out of America in Kinston, North Carolina, and we will run it for you yeah. and we can put whatever material you want in it. Sure. Yeah. So just, just a, Offering that out there. Yeah. Just extending the olive branch. Like if you want to get a HP printer really, really badly, like you have a half million dollars, just burning a hole in your pocket and you don't want to have to hire someone that knows how to run it because you don't want to bring in that puts you over the coronavirus limit of employees in your building. Send them, send the machine to Kinston to here and we'll do we'll it. put it in. We don't even, we're not even close to the employee count. So we'll just, we'll just bring it in and start running. Amen. Yep. See, we're here for you. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so Frankie asks us, do you feel that protection of design files inhibits the industry? Uh, it's a mirror industry of the, uh, computers and, <laughs> oh boy, that's a, that's a good one. So the bottom line is, um, uh, there are, we, we believe in secret sauces. Is that fair to say, you know, like KFC yeah. has a secret sauce for their chicken and they will let us buy it. And, and, and they will buy it. Yeah, we can buy it. People can try to duplicate it, but it's not that. Same thing with Coca-Cola. It's not a patented product. It's a recipe somewhere in the, somewhere. Yeah, you can make Pepsi. Yeah. No problem. So, um, so we firmly believe in that we're not major. Now, we will protect uh, other people's patents. Like when it comes in, we sign all the non-disclosure yeah, stuff and we're not going to share that information. We will make the devices, uh, you know, whatever. And we will follow that patent stuff to the, to the T. Absolutely. As far as our design process, you can look at our designs and try to copy our designs. Many have tried, tried. Yeah. <laughs> but you don't actually know the spirit of what goes on behind it. And we also do a lot of our own machining of parts, um, not in-house, but we've got, um, I guess we could say his name, give him a little bit of shout out. Oh, people will start hitting him up though. He'll get, he'll get all pissed off. So Robert Teagle <laughs> at uh, T-Bots, right? I yeah. think T-Bots. Uh, so Robert, there you go. As a shout out, he is an amazing innovator, um, has a ton of patents and all that stuff. But um, we really rely on him and his expertise on the machining side of things to create some things that nobody else uh, does, but it allows us to bring our costs down. So, for example, our uh, distal end connectors, they can't be bought anywhere. You have to either design your own or know where to buy them. Uh, and Robert will not sell you ours. Um, no. No. And I don't know that we sell ours. That could be discussed. Yeah. Call us on that. But they're uh, not made in China. And that's the most important part that Brent is getting to. Yes. We're using a machinist in the USA. Yeah. Made so, in USA. Wave the flag. And and I'm okay saying made in America. Yeah. So America being including Canada, even Central America, South America. Oh, you're a made in the Americas guy. Yeah. I'm cool still with that. good. Yeah. Continental. Yeah. It's like the tundra. So um anyway. So we've got a lot of custom devices that we've done to make our lives easier, specifically for additive. 
And that's part of our secret sauce. So not only wall thicknesses and what we create thin, thick, that sort of thing. That's just part of our secret sauce. So uh, that should answer that. Distal end connections. Distal, yep, distal end, the way we do our distal end. Uh, voids for uh, oh. drop-in locks and other miscellaneous items. So that's the other thing that's very interesting to me um, in this whole kind of push for IP is um, if I'm creating a part or a design to where I'm printing a void that accepts your part, I'm not violating it, but your part is patented. Okay. I'm not printing, I'm not making your part. I'm making something that has a void to accept your item. So like that's, it's an interesting case as well. I think it's very prevalent in prosthetics because a lot of the things are drop in type yep. things because they were a lot of the components were designed to be used in traditional manufacturing methods. And so, um, I don't know. I just think it's a very interesting. It is because you're you're creating an interface for a patented part. Yeah, I created a void for your patent. And I shape. just reverse engineered your whole part to do that. Yeah, it's interesting. It is interesting. Like it, I, I think I don't know this to be true, but like this is a little futuristic, a little out there. But I think that the way that this is going to go is like there's going to be items that companies own the IP for, and they will. you will buy a digital license or a digital permission to print copies of said item. Yes. That's what I think is. And and I, I'm definitely all, all for that because the, the idea of just ripping it off and 3d printing after somebody's put hours and hours and hours. Yeah. We're in Napster phase right now. Yeah. But the, but the I music is coming. Yes. Yeah. But we're full fledged Napster mode right now, in my opinion. You can um, make your own CDs and sell them. Yep. yep. <laughs> so, and and that goes to, so the one thing that's very interesting about prosthetics is that a lot of people love the prosthetics because it goes, it touches a person, you know, it's not necessarily going on an airplane or a vehicle or something like that. It t- actually yeah. touches a person. And with that, it gets a lot of press. And with that, there's not a lot of people that actually design for it. And so I just want to touch a little bit about this, you know, this idea of protection design and that sort of thing is, uh, and this goes to other um, service bureaus. If there's a part out there that uh, you haven't designed, um, but you may think that is really cool and that it's printed, you definitely got to give credit to where credit is due on that. And there's a lot of people, you know, if you put a prosthesis out on your table, but you don't really produce the prosthesis. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's not the, that's not the right thing to do. It's yeah. The most controversial thing I'll say today, but like, and I don't know this. it's just, it's just, um, it's like false advertising to a degree. Yeah. It would be like, it would be, yeah. So anyway, we can leave it there. All right. So uh, I'm going to butcher this name, Mole. Um, Could you please mention the most important TPU applications in the industry? So many things. Um, TPU, I mean, really, it came out this past summer. So summer of 2019, Lubrizol was October-ish. There's only a handful of people that even run either of them. It's going to be a big deal. 
uh, once we get the lattice stuff right. Yes. Is that is it, is that the um, the no that one? For instance, we tried to three D print a foot shelf. It didn't go very very well. <laughs> we I, actually, literally, this is what happened to us. We were gonna we were trying something new, and we went. To, <laughs> I'm not throwing shade at the service bureau. But we went to a service bureau because we don't have TPU. And we're like, hey, we're trying to figure this thing out. Can you print this file? And they quoted us and then they printed it. We got it. And as soon as we got the part in our hand, we were like, that ain't going to work. Yeah. I mean, we didn't even have to open the box because the <laughs> yeah, box was, was so, so heavy. heavy. <laughs> we, we, that was a bad, <laughs> dude. I know. We got that thing in and I was just like, that's, yeah, that's pretty solid. So um, <laughs> the thing, you know, there really isn't great data out there on TPU the way it acts under different lattices and all that stuff. Um, now, is it coming? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's coming, <clears throat> yes. but it's just not there. So it's the cost too, man. It's kind of cost prohibitive for OMP. And the process. I mean, I think from my understanding, it has to be unpacked hot. Yeah. So, yeah. So a little background on that, on the pH 12 in the MJF, we're running the print and then we're cooling build down and then like once it's under like 180 degrees fahrenheit let's say you can extract parts and you're going to be okay you can also extract parts if it's 90 80 degrees in the inside like it can be all the way to room temperature you're okay in any part of that window for the tpu from what i've been told you have to unpack it at in a particular temperature range that is over 100 degrees so you can't just run a build on thursday or friday and then just unpack it when you get in on monday you have to come back in at a particular time and unpack it at that temperature range yeah so i mean so if it stops at one o'clock in the morning you've got to have somebody here yeah, like whatever time that it stops yeah. so it does pose an issue there so and and, and the material is more expensive yes um, we don't really know how to design for it yet but it's coming yeah uh, so the bottom line is it's and i cool. think this stuff that i did in guatemala that's super cool is the bottom line is there's a major potential and major for prosthetics because we're actually going to be able to cushion a patient's limb and if a patient can be comfortable in sockets in the middle of the jungle of guatemala i think a patient's going to be comfortable in uh a liner and a soft interface and a, and a and a compliant socket, no matter what. So it's going to be a major kind of oops adapter, I guess, uh, so to speak. For, I like that. <laughs> um, and and because patients change so much in volume, you know, it could be an oops like, hey, I didn't put enough socks today, but I still have this massive shock absorber that is going to make it okay. Yeah, I'm still cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, digital rights is our patent. Hey, it sounds like we talk to that guy uh, except we don't really it, it, this is a frankie again oh yeah for sure so that's for pretty sure. cool um jessica has another question she is um overachieving today do you create alignments before you take the sockets to guatemala that we do yes so we we i guess you can call it cheating we we've kind of trained some people on the ground to know what to look for so flexion contractures um and such so uh, we're able to build all that in. What do you use for alignments? Um, so we build that in digitally. Um, so then we don't have to use any plates because plates are actually very, very expensive when we've got a crazy alignment. Uh, is a plate with a pylon? Yes. Uh, so is it a plate with a pylon? 
So just a regular like uh, pyramid with a pylon uh, and tube clamp. Uh, yeah, Jessica, let's uh, reach out to either Zach or myself. Uh, Zach uh, has a schedule that is posted online. So, uh, and then I'm here in Kinston on Mondays and Tuesdays. Um, so we're typically able to get any meetings there. So yeah, hit us up and we'd love to talk with you. Absolutely. You can uh, shoot me an email or um, or a text. The text number, I'll just throw it up here. Oh man, I love this. This is so cool. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah. Yes, Chris Nesbitt, we got live. Uh, I got live probably like a month or two it's ago. Longer than that, yeah. It's been a while. I've really slacked. Um, I was, have. I've, it's bad. I'm, but I wasn't feeling well, man. I had like no, this. You did have, I had like, I had early. And then you figured I, out it was allergies, right? Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I don't know. It's I'm so I moved from, I've lived my whole life in Ohio. I moved to North Carolina in the fall. I'm loving the weather. I'm wearing shorts like every day down here in the winter. I'm like, this is amazing. This is great. Middle of January, maybe like towards the end of January, I start feeling like, I'm like, oh man, I'm getting, I'm getting the funk. I'm getting the sick, the sickness here. So I kind of thought I was going to be sick for just like, you know, like the three to five day thing and I'd feel okay. And I'd feel, I'd feel better and then I'd feel worse. And it just like every day, I never knew. Well, like a couple of weeks go by and I'm like, man, I don't know what the heck is going on. I think I've, I've been eating a lot of Chinese food. I think I got Corona. <laughs> this is in like, this is like early February. So I start jokingly telling everyone that I have coronavirus because I've been eating too much Chinese food and I contracted the virus through like a fortune cookie air or something anyway. And so all of this happens and uh, come to find out, I just have really bad allergies and there's mad pollen around here. Yeah. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) All right. So while you're doing that, um, I just flipped over to Facebook. Um, Patrick Rice asked about, have you ever thought about printing holsters? Um, So yes, we have thought about it. Um, That's something that we have to kind of talk offline because. Yeah, you know how that goes. Yeah. So anyway, hit us up, uh, Patrick, if you're still listening. Uh, hello, Charlie. Let's see who else is here. Okay. Um, Rick actually had Rick. Um, several patients have commented how comfortable the sockets are. Please, or, um, please share why. Yeah. Define comfort. Comfort is actually really hard to define, but there is something that is, uh, was created called the socket comfort score. Something along those lines, but it ends up taking patients, um, responses to specific questions and then giving you an idea what your socket comfort score is. Uh, we haven't done that a ton, but we have plenty of video that um, shows the responses of patients. So, um, but what they're feeling is that we, we've had comments like, Hey, it feels like it melts to my leg or uh, it's part of me. It's moving with me. It's so light. I don't even know that it's on all that is some of the stuff that we listen for that truthfully, I never really had when I was doing um, not all that together. Like people were comfortable, but it wasn't hey, um, it, all that stuff. It melts to my leg and, and all that. So um, that is the big difference that we're seeing with just the, uh, multi-jet fusion machine. So um, Zach put up the let's chat 252-549-247. We always joke that Zach is up 24-7, so it's a perfect end there. <laughs> the let's chat. Um, so if you have your phone handy, just 
type that number in. Yep. Just shoot shoot a text to him and um, put Zach Holcomb in there. Yep. Plug that thing in your phone and keep it. And uh, yeah, I mean, this is a funny story on that. We, I say it all the time. I throw it in videos for people to just just go ahead and plug the number in your phone and like one of these weekends you're going to have a thing come up. You're going to have to like, you can just text me on a Saturday and be like, Hey, my build failed. I need some parts. And this weekend, uh, a dude in like Washington state, I think texted me on Saturday and was like, Hey, my, my build and my machine failed. I'm going to send over parts. How quickly are you running this weekend? Blah, blah, blah. So it's kind of interesting, kind of cool. Um, but yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, you don't really, I know that I've been in a situation where I've had, I've told someone like, I'm going to have your parts on Tuesday. And then my build fails and something breaks and I'm like, I'm out of commission. There's no way I'm going to make it. And I've been like, man, I wish I could just call someone right now. Like, I wish I could text someone and be like, can you please help? I'm that guy. Hit yeah. me up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so Frankie, let's see. So I think we hit that. The digital rights, several patients comments below. I think we hit that. Uh, SLM. SLM is similar to uh, selective laser melting. Melting? I think. Yeah, I think that's what it is. Let me just make sure. That's bad. I should know that. Sorry. Uh, also known as direct metal. So I think it's more in the metal side of things. We don't really do a lot in the metal side of things. We don't do anything in the metal side of things. We've done some little decorative stuff, but that's that's it. I did that little pin or what have you mm-hmm. for for somebody. Yeah, we very much, um, very much try to stay in our lane of expertise. So I, I definitely try not to branch out into too many things that well, I don't the thing, know. The m- thing with the multi-jet about. fusion though is um, we like it because watertight, airtight, especially when you get to a specific thickness. Um, and I believe that's published. Um, we kind of have our own parameters around that. Yes. Sauce. And yes. That's part of the sauce. Um, so um, SLS, you don't get that. Uh, so you have to post, post treat it. Um, and while SLS stuff um, specifically the um, 3DS and the EOS sockets um, tested very, very well compared to multi-jet fusion. Um, that's the reason why we stick with multi-jet fusion, even though we're more limited by build volume and even some materials and colors. So yes. there's there's a lot of things that SLS does give you, but they're, the big thing for us is airtight, watertight, and that's not what SLS gives you. A lot of give and take um, when you're picking your 3D print uh, technology and materials and what you want to go with and all that. There's so a lot of variables that go into all that um, before you even start to talk about pricing. So Um, James uh, Besner asked uh, when you I when you mentioned using an iPad scanner to capture initial geometry, which app do you use? So we use an app called DigiScan 3D. That's D-I-G-I-S-C-A-N 3D. Um, and uh, it's a it's an app that uses the occipital. It can use the um, Mark II or the original sensor. You can go on an iPad or an iPhone uh, as long as you have the right bracket. Uh, it's the one that we like. It's the only app that actually exports as an STL file with the appropriate scale and then an OBJ file with the appropriate scale. Uh, you kind of have to work for it yourself as far as um, which, uh, h- how you're going to use it as a tool. It is sensitive to uh, lighting and such, and you kind of have to verify which is 
what is working for you. But once you have it honed in, it works out very well. Yes. Now, but the thing is, is that our version of very well is different than manufacturing version of very well. So when we say it works very well, we mean that it's like plus or minus a half a millimeter to a millimeter. In manufacturing, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's easy to have tolerances of that. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, when <laughs> but, you're talking about layer lines of, you know, three thousandths of an inch. So um, we're not yes. talking about the same Yeah, you're, you're accuracy not doing, um, as a, you know, any of those Barrow, arm ones, or yeah. the spider, or the, uh, the creoform black something another... You know, we're not talking about that. And and really, to be honest with you, for prosthetics, it's overkill. Um, what does work is the structure sensor and this this app. Now, do you get uh, closer than a half a millimeter to a millimeter? Oh, absolutely. I think you definitely uh, get there. The reality is it's not going to be your metrology app, um, but it works fine for our application. Or to, if you wanted to do like a general, get a general shape of something and then CAD something up later. You can definitely do that. Yeah, it's good for like interfacing and stuff like that. It's, it's not bad for that. Uh, but yeah, it's definitely not on the level of like a Faro um, scan or anything like that. Not, not doing CMM, not doing certification, nothing like that. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, what, it's what the not, tools yeah. for what you're trying yeah. to do. Yeah. So uh, let's talk a little bit about, well, do you want to run this video, see if it works? Yeah, this is pretty cool. So, uh, so tell us about it. Um, yeah, so this video uh, is about a young girl. Her name is Julia, and she got her arm got caught in a meat grinder, and they weren't able to get it out. So she lost her arm right That's by weird. her elbow. It's terrible. That's but she is as smiley and as happy as all get out. And so here's a video of her. This is a, well, let's play it, and then we'll talk about it. Oh, boy. Oh, here we go. Jinxed it. <laughs> this is like a really long of the, uh, it's like the Drake flick flick challenge. Is that what this is? Oh, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, maybe we can just put a link to it or something. Yeah, for sure. Or if you go to the Additive America page, you'll you'll see it. Yes. That's weird. It worked a minute ago, but anyhow. All right. Oh, oh my gosh. As soon as I click on watch it, it's probably just not gonna work. Ah, there oh, it goes. There we go. Just hit that button. So the unique thing about this this one is that we did this in partnership with Blaze Prosthetics. Um and they're man, I forget what they're out of. Um, but they do some amazing work in the prosthetic realm. And so they helped us out by sending us some parts, and then we 3D printed them. And so it's got uh, an elbow with multiple positions, spring-loaded, custom socket that she can put on herself. And then uh, this just shows different things that she can do. And she literally loved it. We pr actually printed those fingers in Guatemala on one of our modified... Um, uh, FDM printers, and it worked out amazing. The, the whole idea with this was, hey, what can we do that is essentially part of scanning and manufacturing here using some of the technology that we have? 
And I think it just goes to show that um, that technology very much uh, works, which brings me to, so in Julia's case, so that, that, that company was, I got to give the shout out to the right people. So Blaze Prosthetics um, in that's Poland, Poland, Poland. Yeah, so we'll um, we'll put that on there. They they did an amazing job, uh, and they've got some just a really amazing thing. So anyway, but that does bring me to the point of with the world becoming so flat, essentially, <laughs> the idea of three D printing something and then taking it somewhere else to fit to me isn't that big of a deal. There's a lot of people that get hung up on the idea of uh, locally available materials. You got to use locally available materials and, uh, you know, help the economy and give people jobs and all that stuff. I agree with give people jobs part. Yes. But they're, they're talking about things like, for instance, there's a, there's a cuff that is a leather cuff that you can make. We actually use a company uh, in North Carolina to make these. They, they're very inexpensive to make. They're like $10 a piece. You know, and we may use maybe 10 of them in a clinic. But so a lot of people are like, well, well you just make those locally. So I give you know somebody three hours worth of work and pay them not a lot of money plus material cost. That does absolutely nothing. Just bring it, bring it in. Right. I think just heralding to the idea of what we were talking about, teach them how to um, evaluate a patient, mm -hmm. tissue consistency, how to scan. Now that's something that can scale. This idea of um, sewing straps and, you know, there was another article that I saw somebody using bamboo as a pylon. I'm like, who cares? I mean, yes, bamboo is close to free, but a 36 inch pylon is like 20 bucks <laughs> and I can get, you know, six prostheses out of one pylon. So, so we're talking, you know, two, $3 for something that I know is going to last. How long does it take you to whittle down that piece of bamboo? <laughs> yeah. Or they'll say, Hey, you know what? We're, um, we're creating this prosthesis. That is like, it costs like $50 material costs. And then you see them put a liner on. Well, that liner is $150. So you just blew your whole budget. How'd you pay for the rest of the prosthesis? Right. So anyway, boy, that's soapbox. I'm, I'm moving on because I can go on forever on that. Are there any other questions? With that. Yeah. That might be the end of this. Yeah. You're starting to get really aggressive. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I don't see any more questions on my streams. Um, checking Facebook. real quick. Uh, yes, Frankie, we'll definitely have to chat, man. I think uh, I think we'll have to have you. I'll have to have you on, man. We'll have to do a podcast and uh, and chat about what you guys got going on over there at Intigo Figures. I think that'll be cool. Um, yeah, if you can shoot me a message, man, that would be cool. That'd be tight. Hit me up. Um, hi, Chris. I see that you're watching. I'm really working. <laughs> Working up an appetite. <laughs> yeah, where are we going to lunch? I, where are we ordering from? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's true. Yeah, that's right. Not allowed to take out. Yeah, we're not allowed to co out. congregate in public anymore. 
with that, I digress. This has been fun. This was yep. like an hour and something minutes. So, you know, that's what yep. happens when uh, the world shut down. You don't have anything to do. You just sit in front of a screen and chat. Yeah. So uh, we, <laughs> we, we may end up doing this uh, more often because I, I think a lot of inf- good information comes out. Yeah, I think uh, it'd be uh, I think if, if this is something that you enjoyed, if um, if you think that us doing a weekly Q&A show on Mondays or Tuesdays would be something uh, something hot you would enjoy, let us know as well. And uh, maybe we'll start doing that. I think that would be, be pretty yeah, cool. We just get on for just 30 minutes and just answer questions. Yeah. At a specific time and we can go yep. with that. But it has to be after nine o'clock for Zach. Yeah, I'm resting. Yeah, it's far too early. So that's what we got here today out of America. I'm Zach Holcomb. This is Brent Wright. And uh, it's been fun hanging out with you guys. And uh, yeah, like we said, if you're digging it, hit us up. And I think we're going to have some really cool stuff coming out next week in lieu of not being able to go to AMUG. So we had the entire week next week blocked out to go to this event that has been canceled. So we should, should have plenty of time to make some, uh, make some cool videos, get some stuff to you. So um that's what we're working on here and uh that's it signing off peace peace